Hello, everyone. I'm Dominique. And I'm Christina. And we are the Connected in Glass podcast. Every week, we will feature interviews with glass artists who speak to their creative processes and overcoming challenges. These conversations are real and raw. We hope that by sharing these stories, you're able to find some connection and know that you're not alone. We just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. We're super passionate about this project and work for hours every week to bring you this content. So if you'd like to help support us, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash connected in glass. Also, please consider joining our Facebook group, Connected in Glass Community, where we continue the conversations from these episodes. We'd love to hear from you. This episode of Connected in Glass is sponsored by Diddy Clips. Diddy Clips has changed the way we film our glassblowing videos, and we're proud to be working with them. Today, we're interviewing Robert from Sigil Glass. They are a glass artist currently based in Tampa, Florida, who's been working with glass for over six years. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Okay, so we're so excited to get to know you. At first, maybe skip the glass part of your life. Just tell us a little bit about you, what you do for fun, and then start getting into how you started to work with glass. I've listened to a couple episodes of the podcast. I've noticed a throughout theme for most glass blowers is we all seem to like to garden when we're not behind the torch. I like to garden a lot. I'm not gardening or glass blowing. I'm either watching anime or gaming or following glass blowers who are being radicalized into right wing extremism. And so, how did you first start getting into glass? It's it's a weird story, actually. I was in Asheville for my disability hearing, and I ended up missing my flight after the disability hearing and I ran into this guy and he's like, oh yeah, blah, 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 you can come stay with me. And he turned out to be a glass blower. And it's like, oh, this is really cool. Like, cause I, I use cannabis for my, my seizure disorder. So when I got back to Florida, I uh, scrimped and saved and bought myself a, a national 6B in a little crock pot with some vermiculite as all the OGs did and uh, just been organically growing from that point. And so currently you want to tell us about your workspace? Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those loner artists. I get a little hobbit hole studio. I don't, I don't think I could ever actually have shop mates because when I have worked in public studios, I generally just don't do anything until everyone leaves for the day. <laughs> And so can you tell us how you like plan out your days? Do you follow along a schedule or do you just kind of play it by ear? No, I'm very impulsive as most glass artists seem to be. So I don't ever really approach day with any solid plan. I try to get out into the studio sometime after sunset and uh, I never really plan anything out. I just kind of freeform. And can you talk a little bit about maybe your style of work and maybe the evolution of your style of work a little bit? Yeah, I've always, I've always been more interested in the pattern side of glass blowing more than the shaping, putting like really intricate and detail, like into the actual prep work 
has always been the more like uh, spark that I chase uh, versus the shaping side or like building complex like water movers. How did you get to those technical skills? I am partially self-taught. I don't think I actually took uh, a real glass blowing class until I was like two years behind the torch <laughs> and I had a, and I was on a phantom. When you did finally like start taking lessons, how did that go? Uh, it was pretty cool because when you learn alone and when you learn through YouTube, you tend to pick up like uh, dirty, like very dirty habits, pulling stringers, leaving messes. And I think one of the most important parts of actually taking class was correcting a lot of those like misbehaviors on the bench that people can get like locked into. I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest things I took away from an actual class. That and all the little bench tricks. Can you tell us about how you would approach a day like going to take a class and like be surrounded by people? Or a day like when you wake up and you're going to go down into your studio. Does that make sense? I think yeah, I, <laughs> I, I often don't find myself surrounded by glassblowers lately, especially with like the whole last two years of pin. I have severe asthma. So I mostly like work alone. When you work alone, you have to have that like self-motivation or at least like a drive to chase. And generally, just I kind of wake up and... You know, I'll hang out with the dogs for a little while and I'll just head out into the glass studio, at which point my horde of cats come out and we all kind of just vibe. And depending what I'm getting into, some nights I'll just sit and pull latticino or just sit and pull tons of stringers or just get tons of blanks ready for inside out. It sounds like mostly your love is like the prep part of it. It really is. There's something about prep that just, it can become mind-numbing and you can just turn off for the day, which I really appreciate, especially since I like hang out in these really like muddy, nasty online spaces. Just being able to turn that off is like such a blessing. (laughs) Okay, so do you... I know you said that you're kind of like a go with the flow person. Do you design the pieces that you're going to be working on before you're actually working on it? Or do you just like wing it? So I, I've like pre-drawn and planned out so few pieces. It almost seems like a misnomer to even be like, yeah, no, I totally plan stuff out. No, I just literally throw shit together as I go throughout the night. I just, I have a really weird brain because uh, of the car accident I was in, so I can't really stay on task, which is one of the really nice things about glassblowing is it's most of the time just one task straight through, stop to finish, so there's like no points in between to be like, oh, I should do this. So I mostly just flow, I would say work with yourself instead of against yourself. Exactly. Do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about your brain injury and kind of how that affected you? Yeah, no, I have no issue talking about that. Um, I think 
uh, disability visibility is incredibly important, especially for people who are like me and don't have like a apparent and obvious disability. Like it's been a weird thing with glass blowing. Like I said, I, I started my interest in glass blowing after meeting someone uh, after going to a disability uh, hearing. Did that maybe, did that change the way that you even approached glass to begin with? You know, I don't, I don't really know about that because like I never approached glass from the perspective of being able-bodied. I remember a class I took, I think it was, I want to say it was Earl Jr. We were talking and he's like, why would you get into glass blowing? Like it's extremely difficult, especially, you know, for even just able-bodied people someone who like seizures can be triggered by heat or exhaustion. And I was like, I don't know. It just seemed very interesting. And I was having issues with my hands immediately after the car accident. It was like a way to retrain my hands to work with my brain again. But it also became like a way to honor the medicine that like keeps me from having seizures as well. And like what, when you're making things, what inspires you? Um, I try to, I try to look at nature a lot for inspiration, but I also try to look at, I don't really know, honestly, you know, that's, it's a hard question to answer, like what, what inspires me? And I don't really know, because like I said, again, a lot of the designs I make, I like just pull from nowhere. I think that's one of the cool things about glass is just pulling things into existence. I and mean, it's part of the magic of it is there's something not there and then through sheer force and like you pulled it into reality. Do you ever feel stuck as far as like your inspiration or flow? Yeah. You know, some days there's just nothing really there because like, I don't like, like, I love the repetition of prep, but I don't like the repetition of like getting stuck making the same item. You know, I started out doing a lot of like production contracts for different people just like cranking out spoons, cranking out one hitters, cranking out steamrollers. And uh, there's something that's nice about getting lost in that. But when you're actually like working on something using prep that you spent a day on, it almost seems like a waste to just repetitively create the same object using the same prep style just in like a a different, you know, color variant. So on days I just don't have anything in me, I can, you know, find myself back in that repetition of just like cranking out prep work or cranking out just like, uh, you know, small objects, pipes, steam rollers, and eventually it will come back. But it's 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 hard when like what you do relies on, you know, the creative process. 
how do you sell your work? Do you sell it like um, through your Instagram or do you sell it in other outlets around you? I got very lucky uh, a few years ago to meet my distributor. I've heard lots of like distributor horror stories from people, but I generally really like my distributor. She treats all the artists she represents pretty damn well. It's nice not having to like think about marketing yourself. <laughs> it is. There's a lot of processes of like the glass blowing world that revolve around not blowing glass, you know, photography of your piece, sitting answering endless DMs of people window shopping, which is no problem. You know, we sell luxury items. It's just nice to actually spend the time blowing glass versus selling the glass. Do you ever have a problem like putting yourself out there in that way though? Like you do have like you're on Instagram, you have really nice like pictures and videos and like you put a little bit of work into it, right? Oh yeah. I mean, Instagram for me is just a, it's like a portfolio, digital portfolio. And it also lets me like create a community. That's mostly what Instagram is for me. But yeah, I'll, I'll use the Instagram, but I feel like it's a very dying platform, especially in the last two years with all the like shadow bands and so I don't, I don't, I never wanted a, like a third party social media app to be like a, tied to whether I eat. So I mostly use Instagram just to like dick around, you know, shit post, do my little unhinged Tuesday thing, post some like quotes and pretty glass. So like taking kind of like a wild swing. I was like just going through my list of questions. And one question that we haven't asked that is like bringing it back deep again, though, anxiety and depression are like huge parts of Christina and I's lives. So I always like to ask if the people that we're interviewing share that in some way or another and how they cope with it if they do. I mean, of course, who, who isn't like a big ball of anxiety these days or just in general? I struggle with depression, obviously. I have a, a brain injury, so that affects my, my mood quite often. You know, we have, like, this... It's, all, it's a very toxic trait in the glass community of this, like, hustle. If I'm not behind the torch 12 hours a day, I'm not doing shit mindset. That, that Gary V drive, you know, I gotta, I gotta make this money. I gotta, I gotta work, uh, <laughs> you know? And I think that is fucking horrible. You know, uh, there's so much more going on than like that flame. You know, it's 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 okay to get out there like six hours, but you know, you gotta you gotta take time for that self care and you know, just enjoy what's around you. You know, like you can get so caught up like cranking out hundreds of spoons that you don't do anything. You don't, you don't, you don't live, you know? And I think there's this separation that needs to occur from art and that capitalist drive to like compete to be the best in the essence of like, I make the the $100,000 rigs or I make the $1,000 rigs. I make the fancy glass. I think that's another thing that is really weird to me 
about uh, the cannabis and glass community in general is there's like a flex culture that also occurs, you know, with uh, the art, the medicine. I have a whole bunch of weird feelings tied up in that. That definitely infects my depression and anxiety. Thanks so much for sharing. Yeah. I like, I kind of want to get into the, (laughs) your Tuesdays, but I don't know how. (laughs) I mean, I, I do like a weekly show. It's mostly screenshots because like occasionally I'll write on the screenshot, but I never really want to uh, directly address it because um, I feel like it's, it's a lot of wasted energy to attempt to debate or fight with these people because obviously there's a quote and forgive me if I paraphrase it wrong, but there's a time to stop trying to educate those who refuse to get it. And rather than do that, it's more important to organize with those who already get it. Like I said, I do a weekly show and the whole goal is just to share information. Information is one of the most powerful tools we have as like a community to protect ourselves. No one's going to protect us. You know, I hear horror stories from female class artists all the time about the unchecked misogyny, the like, Hey, you know, I'll teach you this, but you got to do this. And I think every, every, every woman listening right now knows exactly what I mean by you got to do this, especially in, in glass. And I think, uh, silence is violence. Like that's, it's just, a it's just something that's true. So on Hinge Tuesday, I've just, you know, when the pandemic started, a lot of people just started going mask off. It was very weird. A lot of my very close friends, like, started getting radicalized into these crazy radicals, you know. So on Hinge Tuesday for me, it just became like, uh, rather than sit and just twiddle my thumbs and not really do anything, it was at least something. Being a disabled person and having your friends feel that way must be a lot to unpack. Oh, it sucks. I've had folks tell me uh, a coward for wearing a mask because they get asthma as well. It's it's just been a very weird two years. Yeah. Yeah. I forget what Brene calls it, but I think it's like she's saying we're in like collective grief right now or collective trauma from COVID. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Like I can feel this, you know? Yeah, it is. COVID was a like globally traumatizing event. Right. Like a lot of us still haven't really fully processed the last two years. I would argue that most of us haven't. It's not even over yet. So like, oh yeah, how can we process it? Like, you know what I mean? Like we're still in it. <laughs> oh yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that maybe we didn't ask you yet? We have like stuff we don't talk about in the glass community, like substance abuse problems. I know a lot of like old time, old time glass blowers. It's, it's mostly like where I learned how to do production work and you know, they, they tell you these horror stories of like, oh, you know, champ, before the internet, you know, you had to just like meet these random fucking people to learn how to blow glass. And like, you never knew what the fuck you were going to get. Even in the age of the internet, like, we all have issues and our own vices and our way of dealing with those issues and said vices. And just was like, 
there's a lot of things that we just don't talk about when it comes to like that, you know, like mental health issues and substance abuse issues. It, it's really weird at, at one point, you know, in the last like year, a lot of people like took a very like pro drug war stance when it came to like harm reduction in the broader community. And I feel like a lot of the societal pressures that we've had in the last two years have like, they exist obviously everywhere, but in certain communities, they seem to be far more amplified. And I feel like, again, like I was talking about um, silence, we don't talk about these things. I feel it's really important to just start these conversations, you know, you know, a lot of people have a tendency to just ignore that and really we should maybe like, hey, you, know, you want to go to a meeting or something? It's, it's just, we don't talk about things and when we don't talk about things, we allow those things to like fester. Whether it be, you know, substance abuse or online radicalization or a culture of like sexual assault, which like I've, I've people like people send me things. Um, Cause they know I'll, I'll post in it. I'll post it and I'll talk about it and I'll protect their anonymity. And I think one of the big takeaways I want to really impart is like, we need to like talk about stuff, <laughs> you know, we need to pull these things into like the forefront into the light and also like maybe fucking take a day off, you know, uh, don't turn yourself into a fucking product. <laughs> you know, I forgot who I saw a shirt recently and it said labor is a life destroying act. Maybe, maybe just be lazy for once. Fuck off in the shop, do something different than cranking out. Same fucking piece. That was so good. Mm-hmm. We appreciate you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Connected in Glass. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more information on the artists we interview and for updates on the podcast.